Amen. We'll grab a seat. And howdy. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. And uh, Blake Jennings and I switched spots this morning. And so he's over at the... Um, over at the console with the college students over there, and I am here with you, which I'm excited to be here this morning. But uh, I get to continue uh, the series in Philippians, so if you have a Bible, jump into Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 18b, and you may not know what that means, and that's okay, 18b, but it's right before verse 19. You'll see it there. I'm going to read a little bit for us, pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. Philippians chapter 1, starting at the end of verse 18. Paul says this. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I live on the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much for your word and the truth within it. And I, Lord, I thank you that we see in Paul a man who has joy even in challenging circumstances. And Lord, I pray that we could be people that could find joy in you regardless of the circumstances we are running into. And so, Lord, give us wisdom from your scripture. And God, help us to align our lives behind your path. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was a senior in high school, I went on a cruise vacation with my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Uh, we started dating when she was a freshman in high school. I was a sophomore. Little, we dated almost nine years before we got married. So if you start early, it's going to be a long time. Um, so I went on a cruise with her family. It was our first kind of vacation together. And, uh, and so we go on this cruise ship and there's excursions you can take off the ship. And so there's different activities you can do. And, and their parents said, hey, it would be so fun for us to go horseback riding. And I'm like, that sounds fun. But I grew up in the city. All right, I grew up just outside of Houston uh, in Katy, uh, west side. And uh, so you don't like Houston, but that's fine. Uh, that's where I grew up. And, and I had seen a horse. But like I'd never interacted with the horses, you know, and so and so I get there, but I want a good horse. And so they kind of assess you as to which horse you'll get once you arrive there. And they look at me and they're like, "Okay, so have you ever ridden a horse before? Now, I didn't want a bad horse. Right. So I lied to them. Right. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've ridden a horse before. And they're like, "Okay, you get on this one. And and they get they sit me on the horse. They say, "Okay, now here's your simple instructions. One, follow the path that we're on. And don't let the horse eat that plant because that'll kill the horse. And I'm like, fair enough. I want the horse to live this through this experience just like I want to live this experience. And so, and so I, I get on the horse, and as soon as they kind of unhitch us and start going, that horse beelines to the death plant, right? I'm like, 
what is going on? I'm like, get off of, you know, like come back the, the right way. And, and he won't come. And, and finally, like a guy comes over, and, like pulls the horse over. He's like, this horse always does this. And I'm like, okay. And, and so we start riding again. And, and, and immediately there's some other death plant over there. And the horse kind of beelines towards that one. I'm like, what is this horse doing? And, and nothing I did could get the horse back on course. Like nothing I did could get the horse going in the right direction. And I'm like, I'm like, what is, is happening? And by the time we get to the end of the ride, they're like, yeah, this is the most stubborn horse we got. He's always like this. I'm like, then why did you give him to me? Now, in hindsight, I think they just saw like a young guy as a senior. They're like, oh yeah, we're going to give him the worst one we got to see if he survives, right? And, I, and, I, and as I think about that moment, I go, okay, I think there's a truth in life to this. That so often in life, we want to go in a certain direction in life. We want things to play out in a certain way. And we hope that what we are on will get us there. And so we choose philosophies. We choose career paths. We choose all sorts of things, hoping that this path, this career, this choice, this philosophy will ultimately get me where I most want to go. But the problem is this. That most paths that we choose that don't have Christ as the center will never ultimately get you where you most want to go. And what do you most want in life? You want joy. You want at the end of your life to have joy in the things you've chosen to do, to have joy surrounding your life. And, and you don't just want happiness. Like, that's why you watch sad movies, you know, because if you just wanted to be happy, you wouldn't watch them cry, right? Like, you want significance, You want true joy in the life you choose. And you want the life you choose to actually produce joy. But the problem is this. Many of the paths we are picking will never end in that place. But Paul found it. Paul found true joy. He says, I'm going to rejoice even in the midst of my circumstances. I will ultimately have joy. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to compare us this morning between paths of life you can take. There are paths in life that will end in joy and paths in life that will not end in joy. And the truth is this. A life centered around Christ will produce joy. It will produce a life that will help you to overcome all discouragements. It will be a life that will give you ultimate purpose. And it is a life that will clarify your direction and your future. But if you choose one other path, it will not produce that. And so I want to show you from this text how Paul found true joy and ultimate purpose even in the midst of challenging circumstances. And the first thing that we see is this, that discouragement isn't ultimately crushing. It isn't to Paul. He says this, For I want you to know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says this, discouragement didn't derail my hope. Discouragement didn't make me unhopeful or unhope-filled. He says it this way, I will not be ashamed. In fact, I will be full of courage in my life. What gave him that? It's a great question. But let me tell you this, disappointments will come in your life. Discouragements are on the horizon. And when you hit that discouragement, you've got to ask yourself the question, will my philosophy in life, in in what I'm trusting in, will enable me to bounce back from even the most dire discouragements? What's interesting is, is 
most of the time, in other paths of life, it won't. I was reading an article in the BBC about athletics. It was talking about athletes that had achieved great success, even Olympic-level success. And there was one woman named uh, Kathy Kelly Holmes who had won two Olympic gold medals. And she says this, The biggest thing I felt when I had to retire was a loss of identity and purpose. Suddenly the structure, the people you call on, it all goes. But with no idea of what you want to do and who you want to be, and that's a really lonely place. And I got quite depressed around that time. My coach in college said it this way, there comes a moment when every athlete has to hang up their spikes. And when you hang up your spikes, you retire. You have to assess the question, okay, what is now my new purpose? And what she says is this, I found that once I had to hang up my spikes, I lost all identity and all purpose. They were doing studies with Olympic athletes, and Simon Taylor, who's the executive of the Professional Players Association, says this, all too often, so much of an athlete's life has been dedicated to their job, then when it stops, it can lead to a real loss of identity. But it's not just in athletics. It's in finances. In 2008, there was the, the, literally the, the stock market crash, everything that um, went on across the world. There were several, a string of suicides that followed that economic crash in 2008. The acting chief financial officer, Freddie Mac, of the Federal Loan Corporation, hung himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested wealth in many European royal uh, and royal leading families lost $1.4 billion in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme and slit his wrists and died in his Manhattan Avenue office. When Bear Stearns' executive learned uh, that they were not going to be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, um, he went and took a jump from a 27-foot, 29th floor of an office building to his death. And the Bear Stearns people said that this literally broke his spirit. When he hit crisis, these men all said... I haven't found a purpose worth living for. When you hang up the spikes, when your future doesn't go how you want, these people said, I don't have a resilience to bounce back from because my purpose was lost and it was ultimately crushing. Paul, in this text, in this moment, has good reason to be disappointed. Paul is a church planter. And where's Paul in this moment? He's in prison. You've been hearing from Blake talking about the Philippian church that's going on in this letter that he's writing to the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi. And Paul in this moment is in a Roman prison. Blake talked about it last week. He's literally chained to a guard day and night forever. Blake said, as an introvert, that would be the worst experience imaginable. (laughs) I can agree with that. Paul is literally in prison as a church planter, unable to continue his work. Do you think he has a couple reasons to be discouraged? He's got one purpose in life, and you can't do that. But what is Paul saying instead? He says, I find joy. 
Not only that, his opponents are speaking against him. Once Paul's in prison, they've been inspired to speak more negative language at Paul. And Paul says, I'm even praying for those people. It's amazing that even in the midst of dire circumstances, he is still hopeful. He is still bouncing back. What enables him to do that? Well, he tells you. He says, I will not be put to shame. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, what does he mean by that word deliverance? Well, the word deliverance in in Greek is actually the word save. He says, I believe I will be saved. Now, does he mean that I will be saved from the penalty of hell? Actually, most commentators think that that's not what he's referring to. He's actually probably referring to the fact that he will be saved from living a worthless life. That his life would be vindicated in the end. He believes that even if he goes before Caesar or if he one day stands before Jesus Christ, his life would be vindicated because he chose to live for the purposes of Christ, which gave him ultimate value. He says, as you pray for me, as the spirit comes in and encourages me, I know that I can walk into whatever room, whether it's before Caesar at my court date or before Jesus at my final court date. And I can walk into that moment with confidence, knowing that I've lived my life for what matters most, the word of God and people. He says, no matter what happens, Christ will be honored. And that's what he says. He says, Christ will be honored by life or by death. Not a crazy perspective. Whether I live or whether I die, I will be honoring to Christ. That's incredible. That's a purpose that's not changing. See, that gives Paul the buoyancy even in bad circumstances. He goes, I have a purpose that's unchanging. He goes on in verse 21 to say this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your account. What does he say? He says, I believe that even in this struggle, my purpose is unchanged. Even in the midst of trial, I know that I have a purpose that's clear and will lead me in this life. And Paul knew this coming into it. When Paul was saved in the book of Acts, he, he met Jesus on the, on the road. And there was a moment when the, the light flashed and Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Like, he knew who was talking to him. <laughs> like, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus goes and talks to Annas and says, Annas, I want you to go to Paul. I want you to heal him. And I want you to tell him this. Verse six, Acts chapter 9, verse 16, he says this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, did Paul suffer? Oh, you bet he did. 2 Corinthians 11 shows it a little bit further. He says this, Five times I received the, at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not, mm, but like rocks, right? 
Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul says, in every place I go to, there's one thing I can expect, drama. No matter where I land, it's going to be awkward. Like, I'm going to be in danger. I'm going to get robbed. There's going to be people that hate me. I'm going to get rocks chunked at me. No matter where I go, I'm going to get drama. This is part of the suffering that he's enduring. So I just want you to think about it for a moment, college students. You have an internship this summer you're very excited about. I'm predicting your future. You're like, no, I don't, Kevin. Well, you got one, right? And and you go to that job and you sit in that interview and, and they're talking to you about the career aspirations that you have and the opportunities you have in this company. And they say, okay, well, sit down. I want to tell you about, about this opportunity, this career path. There's danger. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to get robbed. People are going to hate you. You're going to be in danger at every turn you take. Come, join us. What would you say? Uh, it seems like all the danger would inhibit the mission that this company is moving on, right? Like, what about, what is the deal with all of the obstacles? But Paul says, even in the midst of all his obstacles, I never lose focus. I never lose purpose. Why? Because he had a perspective of purpose that was unchanging. He says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is his perspective of life. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See Paul's life purpose? He says, my life is to be lived as a crucified life. He says, my life is to live as Christ, meaning I live the the life Christ lived. Did, did Christ have struggles? You bet. Did Christ have opponents? Oh, yes. Did Christ ultimately give his life for the sake of us? Oh, yeah. And Paul says, I live the crucified life. And he says, when I encounter every obstacle, every challenge, I know that I can carry in my body the same death that Jesus carried. And I know that that is purposeful. And so matter if I live or I die, I will honor Christ with my life. That's significant. See, that's a purpose that's unchanging. That's a purpose that literally will inspire you even in the worst of circumstances. He says, if I live, I know there's challenges ahead. And if I die, I get Jesus. So I can't lose. And the truth is this, you've got to ask yourself the question. At one point, you will die. At one point, you will have the The moment when you no longer breathe and you'll face that reality head to head. And just thinking about that reality that I will one day face death should make you evaluate everything you choose to do. Many philosophers in wrestling with the reality of their own death really hit struggles. Thomas Nagel, professor um, emeritus at, um, at NYU in philosophy and law said this. Even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, even eventually the solar system will cool 
or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. The problem is that although there are justifications for most things, big and small, that we do in life, none of these explanations explain the point of your life as a whole. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed. And after you are gone, out of existence, it won't matter that you ever did exist. That's sobering. Thomas Nagel goes, because as I contemplate the reality of my own death, and I think about all of my writings and all of my contributions, when I think about the fact that the universe is going to cool and end, all of my purposes actually have no purpose. All of my chasing actually will end in nothing. And you may be like, well, Kevin, that's a philosopher. Of course he's going to say something like that, right? But the reality of that might break in on you. Leo Tolstoy, Tolstoy, Russian writer, said this. Something strange began to happen to me at the age of 50. I had a wife who loved me and whom I loved. Who doesn't want a wife they love? And who loves them, right? I had a large estate. Oh, that's nice. Which, without much effort on my part, increased and my name was respected. He was respected. He had wealth. He had a great life. I enjoyed physical strength. He was healthy. And yet I could not live because of death. The question which brought to me on the verge of suicide sought an answer without which one cannot live. If there is any meaning in life that inevitable death does not destroy today or tomorrow, death will come to those I love and then to me. Soon, not only will I not exist, but eventually no one will exist who will remember anything I have written or done. Why then go on with all the effort? What is it all for What does it all lead to? What difference does it make whether or not I do this thing or nothing at all? When he confronted the reality of the fact, I'm going to die, he said, what am I living for? You see what Paul says? He says, if I die, there's there's still hope. He says, there's as I look at my life, whether I live or I die, I know I have confidence in this. If I live, that will mean this, fruitful labor. That means my life will have significance. It means that if I pour my life into the things of Christ, even if I die, I can have significance and fruit. You want a life that has fruit. And he says, I know I can have it. But not only that, even if I die, I get Jesus. I get perfection and eternity. And as I weigh the two, I think I'm going to live. I think Jesus still has things for me to do here. But oh my gosh, it'd be so much better to be with him. But he says, even if I live or even if I die, my purpose is clear because I know whom I have believed. I know the purposes of Jesus Christ. And I know that if as long as I'm lining my life behind him, there is always a purpose that is always right in front of me, unchanging. That I know the word of God and I pour my life into the people of God. So that's what he says last. Verse 23, he says this. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He says, from here, my future is clear. From this moment on, because I know the one purpose I'm chasing, my future is clear. 
See, all of you right now, you have something that's at the center of your life. You have something that your life is orbiting around. And it's probably something in the future. So it's some job. And you're like, okay, I'm studying engineering. And I know that once I get that engineering job and I get my hands on those circuits, life will make sense, right? For others of you, it's marriage. You're like, okay, I just need to find the one ring before spring. That is all my hope and I will get it. And once that moment happens, I will marry the one and we will love each other and then we will have children and those will just be so fulfilling and inspiring at every moment of the day. You call us and start laughing because you don't realize. It's the, it's the adults with kids that are going like, <laughs> mm. and you're like, and then I will retire at 65. It'll be so good. I'm 20 now, but I can just see the day. Wife, babies, Retirement plan. And once all of that happens, then life will be most fulfilling. Once I achieve all that I want in the future, that will cascade joy to me. And I'm telling you, you're buying on borrowed time that will not pay. Your future hope will not bring you ultimate joy. Even if you arrive and get everything that you want, every dream you have, every aspiration that you believe will bring you most joy, even when you land there, it will ultimately not. You're like, Kevin, I don't know if I believe you. Well, even if A&M beat Alabama yesterday, it would not bring you ultimate joy. You're like, Kevin, I don't believe these lies. Well, just look at Nick Saban. He was interviewed right after he won the national championship. And they asked him, how are you feeling now? And he goes, we're two weeks behind preparation for next season. The only win that mattered was the next win. Even in success, it wasn't fulfilling. Michael Phelps. One of the most decorated Olympic swimmers our world has ever seen. The most decorated Olympic swimmer. More gold medals, more medals in total than any other Olympian ever. In, 20, in 2014, he got his second DUI. And he was in prison. His reputation had gone south. He had a picture online of him smoking a bong somewhere. It was all going bad. And he's like, I, literally, I don't think I could ever recover from this. And in that moment, in his lowest of lows, saying, I don't think I have any purpose in life. Ray Lewis came to him, former NFL player, and gave him the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And as he read Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, he discovered that in Christ, he can have a life's purpose. That's unfaded, even in the lowest of lows, or even in the highest of highs, you can find joy if you center your life on something that matters most. If you center your life on the one thing that actually has ultimate meaning, and that's Jesus Christ. So even in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, Paul found joy and purpose and peace. And when he knew that, I'm chasing the purposes of God, and that is ultimately fulfilling, he can say, and my future is clear. And he gives you his plan for the future. He says, convinced of this, convinced that I'm needed for you, Philippians. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because I'm not coming to you again. He says, I'm not dead, so I'm not done. And I'm convinced 
that I've got more to give you. And what does he say he's going to spend the rest of his days doing? He says, I'm looking at you. He says, I'm going to live and pour my days into you. That you may glory in Christ, that you might find joy, and that you can have ample cause for joy with me. You know you'll find ultimate joy? When you pour your life into the two things that matter most, the word of God through the person of Jesus Christ and the souls of men, the person sitting next to you. Guff announced it, and I'm just going to push the boulder a little bit further to say, he said, we are going to help train people in discipleship. And let me tell you what, we want to be a church that plants more campuses here and plants more churches in the world. You know how we're going to do that? When we together really value the process of discipleship, when we pour our lives into the lives of others. And let me tell you, I've been a pastor or I've been on staff at Grace since 2005. I've given a lot of messages. I've spoken a lot of different places. I've seen a lot of great things. But let me tell you what matters most. People. And I'm so thankful as I look back at my time over those 13 years. And I see the men and women that I was able to pour my life into. I want you to experience that joy. And as Paul looks at the path of his life. He says, you know what's most meaningful to me? That I'm following Christ And I'm pouring myself out into you. Who are you pouring yourself into? Who is your, where are your men? Where are your women? As you pour yourself out, that is where life becomes fulfilling. As you help them grow in Christ and see them pour their lives into others. I want to give you an opportunity now to respond. The band is going to come up and lead us in another song, but... I just want you right now to, in the quietness of this moment, to close your eyes and say, and ask Jesus, Jesus, are you really the center of my life? Am I really valuing you, Christ, above all else? Have I believed that you died in my place for my sins? And Lord, am I pouring my life into the lives of others for their progress and their joy? So why don't you just take a moment and pray. Say, Jesus, where where am I this morning? Well, Jesus, we thank you that you came and lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve to die. That you forgave us completely, fully, and more than just forgiving us of our sins and, and giving us the hope of heaven, you've given us purpose in this life. And so, Lord, I pray that as as we consider what are we valuing most, what is at the center of our lives, if it's not you, Jesus, you would dislodge it. God, you would help us to find ultimate, fulfilling value in chasing you and your pursuits. And, Lord, I don't know where each person is here, but you do. I pray that you you would bring conviction and comfort and guidance so that they might center you at the center of their lives. Here we pray.